Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. So last week, we learned that after Jesus had ministered to a once demon-possessed man in the country of the Gadarenes, the people of that region, when they came from town and saw the man who had been living in graveyards, they couldn't contain the man. They couldn't control the man. The Greek word technically means... They couldn't tame the man as if taming a wild beast. And when they came in from the town, from the countryside to where Jesus was, they found this man sitting clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. What did they do? They asked Jesus to leave their territory. Wow, Lord, this is a great miracle. Could you leave, please? I I don't understand that. The man, we do understand, wanting to go with Jesus. And the go with Jesus, that phrasing that was used there, it was only used when Jesus called the 12 to go with him. He was saying, Lord, can I be one of the disciples? Can I follow you? And the Lord said, no, you stay. You stay where you're at and go and tell your family and friends of the great things that I have done for you and of the compassion that the Lord has had upon you. And he went out sharing the word of God there in the Decapolis, there in the area of the Gadarenes. Today, we're going to see how the life stories can intertwine as we look at two separate healings that were connected to our one Savior, Jesus Christ, in the town of Capernaum. And also we find the faith of two different individuals who exercised their faith towards Jesus that these blind men could receive their sight. And then finally, we'll look at the faith of friends who brought a a mute man who was demon possessed to Jesus. And that's what scripture, that's how scripture describes it. But really, it was the faith of others playing into this man's life that the Lord touched him and healed him. And so I really saw this as a point of exercising our faith. And our first point I titled 12 Years in the Making. And we're going to look at Mark 5 verses 21 through 42. Although both Matthew and Luke also tell of this event. We're going to find it in Mark's gospel and study from there today. And the two men receiving their sight is from Matthew 9, 27 through 31 and the people exclaiming never before. Well, that's going to be in Matthew 9, 32 through 34. So the first account that we're looking at today, 12 years in the making, is found in Mark's gospel, picking up in verse 21, where a father comes and pleads for his daughter's life. Now, we closed out last week with the people of the area of the Gadarenes asking Jesus to leave. But here we discover in Capernaum that they were waiting for Jesus to return. So Jesus is still coming toward the end of his year of popularity, but still very popular 
And there were those who rejected Jesus, of course, but there were many who were seeking Jesus. They were waiting for his return. That's where we pick up in Mark 5, 21 through 23. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. And so Jesus now returning to Capernaum, it's, it's kind of directly north, a little to the east, slightly to the east of the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus had his home base of ministry, of operation there in that year of popularity. And while he was coming into town, he was met by many people, but one was the religious ruler of the synagogue. So this was a Jewish man of great authority in his community. He was a ruler of the synagogue there, and yet his daughter was sick and she was dying. And up to this point, everything that no doubt they had tried from physicians to praying to Yahweh, his daughter was still dying. And though he was a ruler of the synagogue and many of the rulers of the synagogue and the religious rulers had rejected Jesus by this point. This man was in a place of desperation. And quite often people who find themselves in a place of desperation will turn to even Jesus. And this man, who no doubt was initially suspicious of Jesus, but had seen the miracles and could not deny that great works were being done through the name of Jesus, He found what he needed in Jesus. He found the Savior who could heal. The Word of God tells us in John 10.10 that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give them life and to give that they may have it more abundantly. And notice that Jairus came to Jesus. He was not a proud ruler of the synagogue, but a humble father of a dying child. And it was there at the feet of Jesus that he cast all of his cares upon the Lord. I have loved 1 Peter 5, 7 since I was in my early 20s. And it had for many years been a life verse for me. But about 10 years ago, and I I probably knew this, but it just kind of drove into me a little stronger that though I had memorized 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all of our cares upon him because he cares for us, I'd only memorized half the sentence of that teaching there. For the whole thing tells us in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So the path of casting our cares towards Jesus comes through humility. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Cast all your cares upon him, your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And Jairus earnestly begging for Jesus to come to his house to lay hands on his daughter that she may be healed and live. And To me, this can have both 
physical and spiritual application. At times, we may plead with Jesus for the physical health of our children. At other times, we may plead to Jesus for the spiritual health of our children or loved ones. At times, we may do both. Lord, they need you to touch them physically and spiritually. My question, have you been earnestly pleading with Jesus for those you love and for others as well? So 24 through 29, we have a twist in the account that's given to us here. And it's in all the accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we're looking at Mark today. Mark 24 through 29, it tells us, So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. And she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I may be well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt her body that she was healed of the affliction. So the woman's illness had caused her to spend her life wealth with the physicians. Her condition, though, had only worsened. She suffered many things because of the physicians. If you think the practice of medicine can be at times risky today, just think about the practice of medicine 2,000 years ago. Oh, you're bleeding? Let's get the leeches and attach them to your body that you can bleed some more. Less blood. Well, I don't know if they did that to her, but her condition only got worse. But also, isn't it interesting that many people will turn to everything and everyone when they have a great need before finally turning to Jesus, the one who can save. Perhaps she had heard that Jesus had healed many so that their afflictions had pressed around him, seeking to touch him. Mark 3 tells, tells us that, Mark 3.10, that so many had been healed by Jesus that many were pressing about him to touch him. So no doubt she had heard that others have been healed by the touching Jesus. And she thought, I want to get in on this. I want to touch the one who can heal. Also, Luke 6:19 tells us the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all. And no matter what she had heard about Jesus, it caused her to take this bold step of faith. No, she didn't come in front of Jesus, but came from behind, came in humility. Remember what I said about 1 Peter 5, 6? Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. She came in humility, not to be seen by Jesus, but to reach out and to touch. And the other gospels tell us the hem of his garment. But what she had heard about Jesus was sufficient for her to take a step of faith. And the word of God tells us in Romans 10:17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
And sometimes people cannot respond in faith towards Jesus because they have not yet had the opportunity to hear about the mighty deeds and works of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so that means it's up to us to spread the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that enables others to have that ability to hear the gospel being proclaimed, that they can have faith in Christ. Touching the hem of Jesus' garment, it really became a point of contact for her, where the woman's faith could be exercised. According to the Bible, Within faith, we have both substance and evidence. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So substance in the Greek refers to a title deed, the right of ownership. And thus, we could read that verse this way, Faith is the realization of the things hoped for. Or the things hoped for become reality. Faith is substance. But it's also evidence. And that Greek word for evidence speaks about a legal document, legal proof of the things not seen, that they are real. Now, 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us that the things that are not seen are eternal. And I mentioned this maybe last Sunday uh, Wednesday in in teaching, but it's been on my heart, and I think it's important for us to comprehend this important thing that over the last, maybe toward the end of November and into December, into January, in the beginning of January, Lily and I have been listening to different podcasts, different uh, teachers. Sometimes it's talking about faith, sometimes it's talking about political news and such, but We've been listening and we've realized a theme coming from at least three different sources where people who were atheists, and I was just talking to my grandson Josiah about this yesterday, they were atheists, which simply means they do not believe that there is a God, or they claim to be agnostic, which means that God, they believe there possibly is a God, but he can't be known, that they are having a different opinion By looking around the last two plus years, what's going on in our world, they are basically saying something spiritual is going on. And some who have been atheists are now saying that I'm at least agnostic now. At least I've moved from believing that there is no God to believing that there's a God who can't be known, but that's moving the needle in the right direction that there's something spiritual going on. The things not seen, they are eternal, according to 2 Corinthians 4.18. And there are many people like that who they're looking around and they're seeing that something's going on. And the Lord has given us opportunity to exclaim the gospel that others can hear, that they can reach out in faith towards Jesus, whether it's touching Uh, the hem of Jesus' garment, which we physically cannot do today, but crying out to him in prayer, which is something anyone can do. There are those who have been held captive and oppressed, like this woman, for 12 years by an illness, perhaps others being held captive and oppressed by spiritual uh, woes of evil upon their life. And they're looking to Jesus in brokenness, in humility, reaching out to touch to the eternal God, touch the eternal God of heaven. 
He who has created the heavens and earth to reach out to Jesus in faith, to touch him that they might be set free. Once she felt, she touched Jesus, she felt that her body was being healed. Matthew Henry, a great commentator from times past, wrote back in the 1500s, but his commentary is still being read by many today. He said of this, He will be found a sure refuge, even to those who make them their last refuge. He will be found a sure refuge, even to those who make Jesus their last refuge. So the woman, we find Jesus now speaking with her directly. She may have tried to sneak up behind him. She may have tried to put one over on Jesus, but she couldn't do that. We can't do that. 30 through 34 says, And Jesus, immediately knowing that in himself power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to Jesus, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? So they were in a crowd. People were all, many people were trying to touch Jesus. They were, it was a little rough. It was the sense of uh, people kind of crowding in, pushing and shoving. And they couldn't understand it. In their minds, they meant thinking, Jesus, everybody's touching you. And you're saying, who touched me? But he looked, verse 32 looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I just thought, I don't even know if, as I was reading that, if the woman was trying to slip away. She knew she was healed. The Bible already told us that. It worked. Now I can leave. And when Jesus said, who touched me? And the whole crowd kind of stopped. And the disciples said, Lord, everybody's trying to touch you. It's like, you don't understand. I felt power go out. Many people may be attempting to touch Jesus in many different ways. But there is a uniqueness of people reaching out to Jesus in faith. They're touching Jesus at a spiritual level. There are some, perhaps professors, theologians, perhaps not. Others just reading the Bible because they know it's a, a book of religion. And they're seeking to find out information about Jesus. They're attempting to touch Jesus, but they're doing it absent from humility, absent from reaching out in faith. And at times, God is gracious. Josh McDowell was a man who went to the Gospels as an atheist trying to prove the Gospels wrong and ended up discovering the truth of God's Word and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There are many who are like that. They reach out to Jesus, but not in a spiritual sense for salvation or healing. They're just reaching out to someone that has been known to be a good man throughout history who have done good things, but not reaching out to him as the Son of God. 
Jesus knew the truth of this. He said, powers went out. It's the Greek word dunamis. And it means power, but here in the Gospels, referring to miraculous power, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And do you know that Jesus has promised such power to us today? In Acts 1.8, he said, You shall receive power, dudamis, the same Greek word. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I can totally understand the disciples' perspective. They understood that everyone was trying to touch Jesus. But it was Jesus who knew that someone in the midst of that thronging multitude, one individual reached out and touched his garment in faith, and she was made whole. Jesus' question drew a confession from the woman which I believe is important for those who desire to walk in faith with Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells us in Romans 10:9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession is important. Even in this situation, she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She knew that she was healed. And we would think, well, she doesn't need to confess then. But I think there's one more step that Jesus wanted to give her. She was physically healed, and that's great. She had been sick for 12 years. No doubt it was wonderful. But there was more that Jesus was willing to give. Jesus did not condemn her, but he commended her. In this statement, who touched me? He wasn't trying to condemn her. He was commending her for reaching out to him in faith. And it seems that the confession then was only part of the healing process because he said, once she confessed, go, woman. Let's read the words. Go in peace. Be healed of your inflection. I think Jesus also wanted to give her peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So not only did she find physical healing, but she found the peace of Christ upon her life. Such peace is available through faith in Jesus Christ today. Now, just try to put yourself in the event There's hundreds of people, if not more than a thousand, thronging around trying to get to Jesus. And in that crowd is a father whose daughter is dying and the Lord is stopping to take time to minister to someone else. And I really think that the dad is thinking, come on, Lord, time is short. This is an emergency. You need to come now. But even more than that, 35 through 37, it tells us while he was still speaking, Jesus still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, Matthew in his gospel, he just states that the ruler came to Jesus because his daughter had died. And maybe Matthew is only picking up the accounts of this event from this point forward. 
If so, think about the great faith of Jesus, uh, of Jairus, I mean, coming to Jesus. It's one thing to come to Jesus if your daughter is at the point of death. It's one another thing to follow Jesus if your daughter had already died. And this is where she is at right now. And still he would follow Jesus and the word of Jesus Christ. They said to this man, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? In verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the words that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. I tell you what, I'd rather have the words of Jesus ringing in my ears than the words of the unbelieving world ringing in my ears. But often the unbelieving world can cause us to act in ways that it's not becoming of a believer in Jesus Christ. We can fall into these traps. Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So now it's an issue of the resurrection of the dead. And in the chronological journey through the Bible, we have already learned of Jesus from Luke's gospel of raising up a widow's son who had died in the city of Nain. If you read it from Mark's gospel, it would appear that this was the very first time in all of the Old Testament, only three times was someone resurrected from the dead. Once in the ministry of Elijah and twice through the ministry of Elijah, his uh, protege. And uh, the third one was after he had been dead. And in battle, they took a man who had been killed in war, quickly threw him in the tomb of Elijah. He touched the bones of Elijah and stood up. So even after his death, there was healing, resurrection. I say that to only say this, that at this point, it is so much more for someone of faith to pray over and to believe and trust in Jesus for those who are dead. But still the father, father followed him. Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. And then he kept going with the man. Mark 9, 23 through 24, it says, of another father who came to Jesus because his son was demon-possessed. And we'll get to this in Mark's gospel, but I think the attitude is still the same. Jesus said to this man, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father immediately cried out to Jesus in tears, saying, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And I believe that perhaps this ruler of the synagogue was in such a place. He trusted and yet he was in unbelief, doubting at the same time. But he had enough faith to keep following Jesus. And so Jesus came to the house, 38 through 43, came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saw the tumult, the crowd that had gathered around, who was weeping and wailing loudly. And he ridiculed them. But when he had put them all outside... 
He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with them, that would be Peter, James, and John. He entered where the child was laying. And he took the child by the hand and he said, Talitha kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked and she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement and he commanded them to strictly that no one should know of it and said something should be given to her to eat. (laughs) I love it. I, I just love it so often that Jesus would heal someone and say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell people what I've done for you. I love it in this sense because almost every time we read about Jesus telling someone, don't spread the news about this, kind of keep it on the hush hush they would go out and tell other people. Now, what has Jesus commended or commanded us to do? To go and tell. And we keep it on the hush-hush. Jesus said, go tell. And we was like, I don't know. I saw a video, and it might happen to me. I have a sweatshirt that I love. I have it on the back of my pickup truck, too, that says Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And uh, the scripture verse that goes with this, but I saw a video this week of mall cops at the Mall of America telling a man wearing a similar shirt had the same saying on there. The only difference is he had the coexist symbol with a line through it. That was the only difference. And the mall cop was saying, sir, if you want to stay in this store, you have to take that shirt off. It's offending people. And then he said, you can't solicit here. I think, well, if wearing a label is soliciting, which kind of is all the T-shirts that we wear, then it means everyone who goes to the Mall of America just need to have plain shirts, right? You can't be a Nike or Air Jordans, whatever it might be. You can't solicit those products here. Of course you can, because that's what they sell there. But they don't want you selling Jesus being a witness of Jesus is coming. I have my sweatshirt. I wear it all the time. It's coming. There's more to Jesus' word than just a command to rise because in that command to rise, the Holy Spirit breathed life into this girl again, into that lifeless body. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is spiritually the lord working breathing life you know i can't go through this and i didn't put it in my notes but it's been on my heart all week lily and i had the privilege when we were in israel to sit in the ruins of the synagogue of capernaum so the same place where this event took place pastor phil ballmeyer of calvary chapel elk grove was teaching this passage of scripture while we were there. And when those who came from the ruler's house came to the ruler of the synagogue and said to the man, don't bother the master anymore, your child is dead. And at that moment, while I was sitting there in the ruins of the synagogue of Capernaum,
try to say it without tears. I felt the Lord say to me, the world is telling you your son is dead, but I say to you, he will live. Now I want to walk on the words of Jesus. And I think that's true for all of us today that we can have the world telling us a lot of different things, having a lot of different opinions about Jesus, the ability of Jesus to work miracles, to save. We need to hear the words of Jesus. What's Jesus saying? Don't worry about what the world is saying. What is Jesus saying? What are you reading from his word? What are you learning from the word of God? What truths are you finding from the word of God? What is the Spirit speaking to you that doesn't go against the Word of God, but is in agreement with the Word of God? What are other believers saying to you to encourage you in your faith that you can step out in faith? Don't worry about what the world might be saying. Worry about what Jesus is saying. So... Peter witnessed this. And a few years later, he would be in a situation where in the book of Acts, chapter 9, 40 through 42, there was a woman named Tabitha who had died. Now, in Peter's situation, when he came into the room where Tabitha laid, they were waking the body. Um, preparing for a burial. He didn't bring others with him. He just kicked everybody out. And maybe I don't blame him. If I'm going to attempt to pray for physical healing of this body, and we know that Jesus gave the disciples the gift of healing, but we never read about them raising anybody from the dead. And we know it was a gift that the Lord gave to them. It's referred to in the Gospels, but not any account of it given to us. And so this seems to be the first time that at least the account is given to us. And he kicked everybody out and he knelt down and prayed. And he said, Tabitha, arise. So Talitha, little girl, arise. Tabitha, kumai, very similar. And she opened opened her eyes and she saw Peter and she sat up and Peter gave her his hand. He lifted her up. He called the saints to present her alive there to the widows. And so a little different, a little similar. Jesus reached out and took the girl by hand, lifted her up, saying those words. Peter said the words and then grabbed her by the hand after she came back to life. A little different. Jesus had witnesses. Peter kicked them all out, maybe in case nothing happened. I don't know. But I think we should take the examples given to us in Scripture, just like Peter saw what the Lord had done, and no doubt had recalled this in mind when he walked in that room. And what did Jesus do? And I think we should take similar examples and take those exercising our faith in maybe a similar way. What did Jesus do? How did Peter do that? How did James do that? We should exercise our faith in a similar manner. Also, think of what was going on. Jairus' daughter, 
for 12 years had been alive and healthy. But at the same time, there was a woman who had been slowly dying of an illness of that same 12-year period. And still Jesus was able to meet the need of both of them. And Jesus is still able to meet the need of those who reach out to him in faith. So he departs from there. He's on the road again. Matthew now, Matthew chapter 9, 27 through 31. So we're picking up from Matthew's gospel, who tells immediately after this event, he says, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him crying, son of David, have mercy on us. So the phrase son of David is a messianic title that speaks about the prophecy that God gave to David that God would allow his descendants to sit upon the throne forever. And the prophecy comes this way, 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 14. So the Davidic covenant. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, you rest with your fathers. When you die, I will set up your seed after you who will become who will come from your body, I will establish his kingdom. Uh, He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be a father to him, and he shall be my son. So there was this twofold fulfillment of this prophecy. The first part of this fulfillment was David's son Solomon would build the kingdom, uh, build the temple after him. But the second part of this fulfillment would be David's descendant, Jesus, would become king forever throughout all eternity. It spoke about the messianic hope of Israel. So they asked, not only son of David, speaking about the messianic hope of Israel, connecting Jesus to David, their king, they asked for mercy. They asked that the Lord would show them kindness. And Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 tells us that God is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We should cry for the mercies of the Lord. God is rich in mercy. They asked the Lord for mercy. And when he had come into the house, whatever house that might have been, the blind men came to him. So they kept following And Jesus said to them, verse 28, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. So Jesus' question, they called him son of David. They connected him to the messianic hope of Israel. They asked the Lord for mercy. And we know the Lord is rich in mercy. But now the Lord drew them deeper into their faith. He says, Do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. They called him Lord. That Greek word refers to one who has supreme authority, the master, the owner of your life. Yes, Lord. The word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that no one can say Jesus is is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So it was a further step of faith on their account. He drew them out, caused them to deepen their faith, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord. For the word of God tells us that Jesus 
in Luke 4, 18 through 19, that the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The Lord reading from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 there. Miracle working faith hopes for the impossible to become possible. Do you believe I can do this? Yes, Lord. So he touched their eyes in verse 29 and said, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open. This tells us that they truly had faith that the Lord could do this. Jesus touched them and said, according to your faith. So if they really didn't believe, then they wouldn't have been able to see. But their eyes were open. And there Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows this. (laughs) But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. I got to tell you, it's hard to keep back those who have been blinded when they are healed to not share of their healing. They had faith. Just like the lame man in Paul's day when he was ministering in Acts 14 in the city of Lystra, he was preaching the word of God. And I love this passage. It's found in Acts 14 verses 8 through 10. As he was preaching, there was a man in the crowd who was sitting and crippled from his mother's womb. He had never walked. And as Paul was preaching, he observed that the man had faith to be healed. So I don't know what he saw, but he saw this man has faith. (laughs) And so he said to the man, stand up. And the man leaped and walked. (laughs) Kind of preaching 101, they might try to tell you, don't make eye contact with the people. Look over their heads. You might feel like they're picking on them if you actually look at them. Make eye contact. Paul made eye contact. He saw something in this guy. He saw faith to be healed. And then because he made eye contact, saw the faith of the man, he was able to say, stand up on your feet. And the man stood up and he leaped and he walked. But also he perceived faith, that there was faith to be healed. Do you know that Romans 12:3 tells us that God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith? And sadly, I feel that sometimes we don't act on that faith. I always, God has dealt, I always get this image of card players. And you have a dealer dealing the deck of cards. Last week we were playing a card game with the kids last Sunday night. And uh, only six people can play in this game. So they don't quite like it because Lily and I have been teaming up as a individual, but we strategize very well together. So we're like two for one. But we had a deal that we could have made on a turn. We set it out 
we knew what we were going to do next time it got around us. And the very next player, our beloved grandson-in-law, laid out a card and wiped out our plans. Took half our deck of cards. It was just like, and that was like the end of the game for us. He ruined us. We held on too long. We had a play that we could have made. We were looking to make a different play. And the Lord has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. How do people say, well, they're so strong in their faith? Well, how do you think they get strong in their faith? Because they take the measure of faith that's been dealt with them and they begin to use it. They begin to take opportunity with it. And the God then strengthens their faith in such a way that they begin to exercise that gift of faith that's been given to them. And through the exercising of our faith, we find that the Lord will increase at times. Paul saw that this man had the faith necessary to be healed. And that word for healing is the Greek word sozo, and it speaks about life. That word means life, sozo. So yeah, being healed, a cripple from birth, life, a crippling sin, just think about that. There are people who are crippled that are walking about all the time. They're crippled in a life of sin, and yet the Lord can speak forth faith, sozo, life eternal. So you can have faith to believe, but you have to act upon the faith. Paul looked at the man and saw that he had faith to be healed, but Paul also said, stand up. So that meant the cripple who had never stood in his life had to act upon his faith. And sometimes we may have faith, but if we don't act upon it, it's like holding those cards that's been dealt to you. You may just hang on too long. Don't do that. Act upon it. There's no greater witness than those who have been touched by Jesus. Those who have been dead in their trespasses and sin, walking around as living testimonies of the power of Jesus Christ to change lives. And Jesus said to the two blind men, don't tell anybody. They went out and said, we can't help but share. Do you believe that Jesus is able to? I left that blank on a purpose. Fill in the blank. What's your prayer? Do you believe that Jesus is able to? That's a question for you. What would you fill in there? What is he able to do? And finally, Matthew 9, 32 through 34. We close out with the faith of some friends and family members. It tells us in verse 32, they, as he went out, as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon possessed. So he's in the house. The blind men who now are seen went out to tell everybody about what Jesus had done for them. And others came in with a man who is mute and demon possessed. Now, scripture is not teaching that everyone who cannot speak is because they have a demon in this situation we're being told why he could not speak. It was because he had a demon. And so Jesus, ministering both to physical and spiritual need of the people, there was no greater physician than Jesus Christ. Those who was teaching, preaching, and healing, and gave evidence of the Messiah, was in their midst. They were coming to Jesus. 
Instead of some coming to Jesus, they were denying the things that were going on. But there were those who came to Jesus looking to trap him. Others came to Jesus that, like the blind men, that they may be able to see this group coming to Jesus that their friend or family member might be able to speak. Luke 7, 22 and 23, Jesus said, when John was in prison, John the Baptist was in prison, sent two of his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or should we look for another? And Jesus didn't answer the disciples' question. He just for about an hour began teaching and healing people. He said, afterwards, go tell John the things that you have seen, the things you have heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is him who is not offended of me. We need to be in this place where we're not offended of Jesus and the work that he can do in our lives. And so Jesus, for this people who brought this mute man who is demon-possessed, when the demon was cast out, verses 33 and 34, the mute spoke, and the multitude marveled and said, it was never seen like this in Israel. We've never seen anything like this before. But the Pharisee says he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. We'll get into that again. They saw a miracle right before their eyes, and they blame the miracle on Satan that Jesus was actually doing the work of Satan. But others admitted that this was a miracle of God, something that they'd never heard of, never seen before in all of Israel. When I think of faithful believers bringing their friends to Jesus, I, I've told this before, but it's just... A, actually, last year I got this added to... But when we lived out in California, I was a janitor on the grounds of Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. Every Monday night, Pastor Greg Laurie would come and preach on Monday nights. And uh, it was called Monday Nights with Greg Laurie, I think, at the time. It was something Pastor Chuck was doing for years. And as he uh, was trying to step back in ministry, this is like one of his few step backs in ministry. He turned over the Monday night to Greg Laurie. And uh, Greg Laurie has been greatly blessed in ministry because of that. I was on the grounds. I only once remember ever being able to attend, but I was on the grounds. I saw that sanctuary fill up every Monday night. I saw the overflow into the courtyard, into the gymnasium, into the uh, fellowship hall. And there in the gymnasium is where the people would go who received Christ on each Monday night. And they had an average of 100 to 150 people accepting Christ every Monday night there during that time. From 92 to 94, I was a witness of that. That testimony was added to because I heard the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Madison, Jeff Sowell, uh, talking on the radio a few years, or just last year, and uh, he, in 1992, was listening to the radio message. He said, me and my wife were at the kitchen table. Pastor Greg Laurie was teaching. We gave our hearts to Jesus. I never even thought about the radio crowd. 
I always saw what I could physically see. There was more going on than just what we could physically see. But here's what I kind of took out of that. For me, it was family members, it was friends praying, saying, Lord, if I can only get my friend to Greg Laurie on Monday night, maybe he'll get saved. Maybe she'll get saved. I think what they were really praying was, if I can only get my friend to Jesus, maybe she'll get saved. Sometimes, at that time, Greg Laurie was the instrument that the Lord was using to help bring about salvation. But the salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And may we actively bring our family, our friends, our acquaintances before the Lord. May we have that same attitude. Lord, if I can only get them to whatever that might be. In reality, if we can only get them to you, Jesus, maybe they'll get saved. Father, thank you so much for your word you've given us today. Exercising our faith. And Father, who not necessarily was a believer in you, in a place of desperation, came to you because his daughter was dying and sick. And in the last hope of desperation, he found that there is truly healing in the name of Jesus. While at the same time, a woman who had been sick for 12 years reached out another last hope of desperation, reached out to touch the hem of your garment, and she was healed. And not only was she healed physically, I believe further, Lord, when you challenged her by saying, who touched me? And she confessed before you. You said, peace be with you. She also found the peace of our Savior Jesus. That there is, Lord, truly both physical and spiritual healing available through our Savior Jesus. Two men, Lord, who were blind, crying out to you, acknowledging you as the Messiah, deepening their faith in you. And by their faith, they were healed. Your words, Lord, by your faith, it will be done to you. And they could see. They reached out in faith, calling you, Lord, and you made them whole. And they couldn't help to share with others. And finally, Lord, it friends, family members, it doesn't get suspicious. <laughs> doesn't get in detail on this. I can't say the word, Lord, but. Yet they brought the one who has had that great need to you and you, Lord, touched. And I believe because of the faith of friends, like when I witnessed out in California, seeing people come to faith in you every Monday night, there at Calvary Costa Mesa through the teaching ministry of Pastor Greg Glory and others ministering there. Lord, you were working greatly because the attitude of the people, it wasn't Greg, Lord, he was your instrument at that time. It was people who were bringing their friends, bringing family members before them. And Lord, I know we have friends. I know we have family members. I know, Lord, maybe even ourselves, we need to be the ones reaching out to touch so that you might heal. Whatever that prayer is for us today, Lord, we pray that you'd work in our midst, whether here in this church, whether on the radio, whether through video at a later date. Lord, work, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.